bless you, Brother Rutland. Amen. We just want you to have your way today. God bless you. Come on, let's give that hand clap of praise unto the Lord right now. Oh, he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. Come on, from the bottom of your heart, would you just magnify him? We love you, Jesus. Oh, we praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord here this morning. Um, someone said the preacher was praying while the sound system was on the fritz. And I would probably, uh, I, would, I would tell you that's probably the hardest I've ever prayed. <laughs> Amen. No, but um, I just feel that in a service where we can worship God without the, the aid of sound system and instruments, where we can still praise the Lord and, and worship Him freely. I believe that in that kind of service, anything can happen. People can walk out of here healed, delivered, set free, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, full of power. Feel the presence of the Lord in this place. And it is such a, a, a privilege and an honor to be here. I know your pastor is not here. He messaged me. Early this morning, um, talking about how he uh, is feeling well. And if I know anything about pastoring, I know that a pastor does not like to miss church at home. And especially when there's a visiting preacher. And we've had the opportunity to preach in places uh, where the pastor was not able to be there. I say it there and I'll say it here. I'm confident that if I get out of the way in any way, that there are several elders in this building that will grab me up and throw me out of here so fast that my head will spin. Your pastor's able to sit back and, and rest and recuperate, and he's not going to have to worry about anything like that, but I give him honor, double honor today, along with Sister Mayo, and my, amen, that's all right. That's all right. son. I think he's in nursery or in Sunday school somewhere. Someone else's problem for a little while. And uh, But I give my family honor. I love and appreciate them. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter uh, 59. And we'll begin reading at verse 10. I do feel very strongly that the Lord has I laid this on my heart for this service, and I'm going to do my best to deliver what the Lord has given me, and if it's all right, I'll just make myself at home for a little while and just preach like, like you know me and I know you, and we're going to have a good move of God. God's going to move in this place. Isaiah 59 and verse 10, the Bible reads like this, we grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar, roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away from, away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. And verse 17 is where I want to uh, pull my title from, but the Bible tells us, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. 
and was glad, uh, clad with zeal as a cloak. And I want to preach to you from, from this passage of Scripture here, this title, The Helmet of Salvation. The Helmet of Salvation. Do you believe that the Lord's going to help us here this morning? Before this service is over with, God's going to speak into the, this place. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you lift up your hands and your voice one more time unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your presence in this place. God, we magnify you. We adore you. We love you, Jesus. I pray that your word would go forth, God. Accomplish that which it's sent unto. By the authority of the word of God and the power of Jesus' name, I release the gift of faith into this atmosphere right now to be moving and operating in everyone's lives, Lord that before we leave, there is something that is confirmed within us, something that is settled within our spirits. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke every spirit of fear and doubt, every lie from the enemy. God, we take hold of it, and we cast it into the pits of hell from whence it came. Jesus, we lift you up today. We magnify you, Lord. We glorify you. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your assistance, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Jesus spoke many truths to uh, in the conversation that he had with the woman at the well. Uh, many of us, if we have been living for the Lord for, for, any, uh, for some time, we have heard this passage of Scripture, this story preached. And uh, it's perhaps one of the more famous stories of the New Testament regarding the ministry of Jesus. But he recognized that there would be a, a moment in this woman's life to where he could really just speak into her what other people maybe had heard in times past but didn't quite grasp. Uh, he, he began to tell her things very point-blank uh, wording and, and was very blunt with her about what he had come to do, who he was. And, and he knew that this woman was a woman that had uh, perhaps a, a not so good reputation amongst the community that she lived in. And, and he understood that she was a woman that had transgressed against the Lord. She had much sin in her life, but yet he took time to talk to her and tell her things that other people, uh, that the disciples weren't even privy to this conversation, that he would send all of them at one time to get lunch for the whole group. He sent them into the city so that he could uh, get this woman alone. But she came to the well as the story goes, and she is uh, trying to get water, draw water from that well and he knew that if I, if I seize this opportunity to talk to her, to minister to her, that she will walk away from this conversation completely changed, completely altered, and uh, she will, she'll never be the same from this moment forward. And he began to tell her that if you only knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me of water, and I would give you water, and it wouldn't be the kind of water that you get from this well. He knew that if she drinks of the water that he offers, that she would never thirst for, for any kind of a spiritual source uh, again. Uh, he wasn't trying to tell her that she, would ha she wouldn't have to make the trip back to this well again in her life, but uh, the kind of water that he offered would be, in fact, a well of living water internally springing up into everlasting life. And he began to tell her there's these things, and, and she's kind of taken aback, and she's a little offended, so to speak, and, and begins to tell him, look, listen, the well is deep, and you've got nothing to draw with, and, and and things like, are you telling me that uh, you're better than our father Jacob who dug this well? Are you telling me that this, is, uh, this water is tainted somehow? And he's like, no, this is not what I am saying. What I am telling you is that uh, there is coming a day where we will not worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, now is the time and, and the day is coming where the father is seeking people that will worship worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he ends the conversation in a way that always kind of uh, struck me as odd. I never quite understood what he was saying, but 
He said, you know not what you worship, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And it's a true statement that salvation is of the Jews because the very concept, the very idea, the thought of salvation originated within the Jewish people. There were promises and covenants made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they understood that there was coming a day when there would be a Messiah that would enter their world and kind of erupt and disrupt everything that was going on. They had an idea about what he would do and who he would be like and the kind of war that he would wage but they understood that salvation belongs to the people of God. Whether it be Gideon and his 300 men or Samson with a jawbone of a donkey, salvation is of the Jews. Whether it be David and five smooth stones or Noah and his ark that he built to the saving of his family, salvation belongs to the Jews. Whether it be uh, three Hebrew children and one man, Daniel, that was thrown into a fiery furnace and a lion's den, salvation is of the Jews because at the end of the day, God's people are going to come out of it. God's people are going to be delivered. God's people are going to be saved. They understood, lo, he will come and save us. He will come and save us. They understood that. They realized that there are promises that we have that God gave to our families, to our forefathers, to men that have walked in paths of righteousness and died having never seen those promises come to pass. And they understood that it doesn't matter what we go through. We can hold on to these promises. Now, does that mean that they obeyed God at every turn, that they followed him in every way? No, sir, no, ma'am. They were not a perfect people. They routinely would uh, walk away from God. They routinely would uh, pursue after the heathen gods uh, of the world. They routinely would sacrifice and and give to these false gods. But at the same time, they understood uh, he will bring us through. And I'm just feeling the Holy Ghost to preach to you this morning that it sounds a lot like uh, 2022 when we read from Isaiah chapter 59 how the prophet began to tell us that they were groping for the wall as if they were blind how they were mourning like the doves and roaring like uh, like the bears and how uh, salvation was far off from them how there was no righteous judgment how there was no ability for any man or any woman or any child to do things the right way all of the time there was no one acceptable there was no one good enough and I'm not reading to you out of the Times Magazine or USA Today. I'm reading from the Word of God and I want to preach to somebody here under the sound of my voice. I want to shatter the misnomer that there is an ability within us before you ever came to God, before God ever pulled you out, that you had the power to save you. The only thing that has the power to save a man or a woman from sadness, from sickness, from sorrow, from strife, from sin, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I know we know what the song says, that there is power, power, wonder work, and power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this place. Another song would say, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when everything from hell would stand up and say, there is nothing that can save you, nothing that can deliver you, nothing that can set you free, Jesus would stand up and shout even louder, I beg and plead the differ. My blood is able to save. My blood is able to deliver. My blood is able to redeem thank God for the blood thank God for the blood hallelujah the scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God
You can search this whole planet. You can look in every nook and every cranny of society. You can go to every penthouse and every slum. And there isn't a man or a woman alive that doesn't have some kind of sin or transgression in their life that has caused them to fall short of the glory of God. If you're here today and you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, don't let the suits and ties and the perfectly fixed hair and the heels and the nice clothing kind of fool you into believing that we all just arrived this way and we've all got it together. At one point in time, we were all sinners. We were all unworthy. We were all lost and undone without God. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of any mistake you could ever make, of any transgression you could ever bring against the Lord, of any iniquity, of any kind of a, a wrongdoing that you can have in your life. I'm telling you today, we would not be here if it wasn't for the sacrifice. This building would be full of people. Oh. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. I'm telling you, all of this would be pointless today if the blood had not been applied to your life and to my life. This would be another social gathering. This would be another place where we just meet and we just sing a few songs and we don't really know what's going to happen when we walk out the doors. But I can say I might not understand what's on the, on the way from tomorrow, but I know today his mercy is great and his grace is free. I know that he is rich in mercy. I know that his grace is sufficient for thee. And I know that I might go through some problems down here, but I can plead the blood of the lamb. I can plead the blood of Jesus. And he didn't just come into the world when he came in to save one nation at one moment of time but the work that he was doing was to spread all throughout time and every place that you can pinpoint on a map he came to seek them and to save them as a matter of fact when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking up he said behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the whole world and they offered so many lambs and so many bullocks and so many goats and all of the blood that they shed trying to remove the sin, all of the blood that they shed, trying to make sure that they were living right, walking right, and talking right. It ended up amounting to nothing. It didn't do them any good because they were still sinful. They were still fallen. They were still unable to stand up and be holy and be acceptable. And so God said, you know what? I guess I'm going to have to go down there and help them. I'm going to have to go down there and minister. If you're going to do something right, you've got to do it yourself. Oh, hallelujah. I don't, I, I'm not a sports fan by any stretch of the word. I, I, I can't tell you which team's playing in the Super Bowl and, and which team's going for the championship. I don't know the stats for players and who is the MVP of the year. Uh, uh, none of that really, uh, that's all, it's all Greek to me, if you will. But I, I know people who are. I know people that, uh, that, are, that are diehard fans when it comes to whoever uh, is winning and whoever is losing. They will stick by their side. It doesn't matter who, uh, who is on the, uh, the, the winning side or not. And I've heard them talk uh, and have conversations Conversations and even my own family at times, they, they talk about who's winning and who lo who's losing. And they would say things like, uh, you know, they would just be a, a, a all-star team. They would be winning. They would beat everybody if their coach could get out there and play on the field with them. They would just uh, they would just drag the carpet, drag the floor with them. They would win every game if the coach could suit up and run out there, call plays, and play with them at the same time. And I begin to think, you know, I don't know anything about what you're talking about, but I wonder why this isn't something that can be done. So I just began to do a little research. I'm a little uh, nerdy, a little weird that way. I wanted to find out if this is possible. Can the coach get out there and play? And in specific uh, circumstances, uh, it's got to be 
very precise. There's got to be just the right kind of, it's got to line up just the right way for the coach to lay aside his coach's hat and put on the jersey and put on the the uniform and go out there and coach the team while he is playing on the team. And as I begin to realize that this is possible for a, a sports team, I begin to think, my God, that's exactly what the Lord did when he decided that he was going to come himself. He slipped on the uniform of a man and he walked amongst them and he talked with them. And My God, he put on the uniform of a man but he never stopped being the coach. He was calling the plays and he was saying, hey, I want to show you what it's like to deal with temptation. This is how you handle temptation. My God, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place right now. He said, I want to show you what it's like to deal with your enemies. This is how you ought to do it. This is how you ought to pray. This is how you ought to fast. This is how you ought to reach. Jesus Christ came himself. The Lord of glory, the creator of the universe did not send another but he said no, there is nobody able to save them but me. There's nobody able to deliver them but me. I've got to go there and I have got to do a work that no man has able been able to do. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that when John was looking and he was seeing all of these things that he would they would call people up. The angel stood up and said, who is worthy to open the book and read what is there? And they would call all men up. And it would be a long line of all the men that have died in the earth. And there would be people like Moses that would come up. Perhaps one of the greatest leaders that Israel has ever known. But in one moment of anger, he transgressed against the Lord. And even the great Moses wasn't worthy to read that book and open it. I believe that they called Abraham up. The father of the faithful but even Abraham wasn't worthy to read the book David a man after God's own heart where the Bible even says that he did no evil thing that he was perfect in all his ways but David could not open that book and read it Job a man that eschewed evil was upright and perfect he couldn't open it no man was worthy and the Bible says that John began to weep because there was no one worthy to come down and read what was wrote what was put in the the pages of that book and one of the elders just tapped him on the shoulder and said John weep not for there is one who is worthy to take the book open the seals and read thereof he is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world he's the lion of the tribe of Judah he is the great I am he's the savior and I'll tell you what brother sister his name is Jesus Christ and he died for you and he died for me and he came into our world to save us oh hallelujah why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord right now thank you Jesus thank you Jesus the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same uh, was in the beginning with God and that all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. That, he was, uh, that in Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of the light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not he came unto his own and his own received him not but to as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were born not of 
blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and when Jesus Christ slipped into the the manifestation of a man and he was born of a womb by a virgin named Mary he did everything that we're supposed to do but have failed miserably to do so when we were oh my God when we were tempted to lie we lied but when he was tempted to lie he didn't lie when we were tempted to cheat we cheated but when he was tempted to cheat he didn't cheat when we were tempted to fornicate we ran right to it but when that temptation came on him he resisted it he said no I'm here to do a work that nobody else is able to do when we were tempted to have lust to be greedy to be full of envious uh, feelings and full of strife full of rebellion we ran to those things every single time but he took victory over it he subdued those things and when he shed his blood every code for every ability to overcome every sin and temptation was in that blood I believe that that's why Moses would tell the children of Israel to not eat the blood of the flesh. When you kill those animals, do not eat the blood of that animal because the life of the flesh is in the blood of that animal. And whenever Jesus Christ died, everything that he ever did was in his blood. Every time he resisted evil, every time he told the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written, it was in his blood. When he healed somebody, when he delivered them, cast the devil's out calmed the winds and the stormy seas when he walked on water turned water into wine when he breathed on them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost it was in his blood that's why I'm able to step over into the blood and say thank God for victory thank God for healing thank God for mercy thank God for grace That's why I'm still a firm believer in pleading the blood of Jesus over my children, over my family, over my finances, over my church, over my ministry, because I know that there is victory in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I appreciate folks that want to say that he was a great teacher. Nicodemus, a man that was one of the greatest teachers of his day, even looked at Jesus and said, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Even he didn't have a clue. And I appreciate people saying that he was a great leader. And I appreciate them including the Sermon on the Mount as one of the greatest speeches ever given to man. But I want to make something abundantly clear. He's greater than any of the greatest teachers you have ever sat under and listened to them give a a lesson of any kind. Even the greatest of theologians and scholars, Jesus Christ was greater than those men. I want to make it abundantly clear. He is, in fact, the greatest leader that the world has ever known. You want, you want to talk about leading like Jesus did? Just, just see what happens when your enemy strikes you and you've got to turn the other cheek. Their kind of response, that kind of attitude, leading from a place of peace, leading from a place where you say, vengeance doesn't belong to me, but vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's the kind of leader that he was. I want to make it abundantly clear that that sermon on the mount that he gave is greater than any speech that any orator has ever delivered and will deliver. The words that are in this book are greater than any piece of literature you will find on a dusty library shelf somewhere tucked away greater than anything from the odyssey greater than anything from the books of history and the books of the world his word is greater and I'm telling you I can find plenty of reasons in here to give him praise you may not think that you've got a reason to praise him but the brother quoted the scripture let everything that hath breath praise the Lord praise ye the Lord 
Some of you walked in here today and you're thinking about your life and everything that's going on in your past. And you're looking at all the different reasons and all the circumstances that you've been in. And you're wondering, I just don't think that I've got the energy or the strength to praise him because of everything that I went through. I'm telling you, I know of a preacher right now who received a phone call that his father died in the middle of the night while he was away preaching revival somewhere. They got on a plane, flew to the family, had the funeral and he went right back out after the morning was over, after the time to be with family was over, and standing in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, giving God praise because God has been too good to me to sit back and let somebody else come in that thinks... This church has been here for, what, 27 years? That's reason enough to praise him. There's been a refuge for 27 years. There's been a place to come, lay down every sin, lay down every weight, and let God lift me up and elevate my perspective. There's a reason to praise him. We don't need a microphone. We don't need drums. We don't need the organ to be playing just right to give God praise. We don't need a worship leader to push us and pump us and prime us and get us in the right position to praise. I'm able to praise him all by myself. And the reason for that is when I was in the hospital and they said I wouldn't get better, here I am today. When they said I'd be on drugs, here I am today by the mercy of God, by the grace of God. Where did they say you would be before God ever reached into your life, pulled you up, dusted you off? When I think about the Lord, how he raised me, how he saved me, how we Oh, hallelujah. It makes me want to shout hallelujah. It makes me want to rejoice. It makes me want to lift up my voice to cry aloud, to spare not, to declare the wonderful things of the Lord. When you were so drunk out of your mind that you didn't think you would get out of the out of whatever situation that you were in, but somehow you knew enough not to get behind the wheel of that, of that car, and you woke up in your bed safe and sound, I'll tell you what that was. That is the mercy of God. And if you're here today and you once were an alcoholic, there's a reason to praise him. When you were so used to shooting up and snorting up and doing all the things that you were doing, running around and creeping around on the weekends, sleeping with whoever you wanted to sleep with oh, come on hallelujah anyhow when you were used to that lifestyle and before you ever knew about a loving savior that was seeking and saving you reaching for you God was walking God was working God was reaching for you and you're here today because he's a great and merciful God the apostle Paul told us he said that there was a rock that followed the children of Israel in the wilderness. That rock followed them, and that rock was Christ. It was Christ. And did you know that even in the wilderness, even with the rock in the wilderness that was following him, they would routinely turn their backs on him. Half the time they were living in rebellion, but the rock never moved. It followed them in every place, even when they wandered from paths of righteousness, even when they stopped obeying all the commandments and the statutes that he gave them, even when they were sacrificing to false gods, the rock followed them anyway, because he knew there was going to come a day when it would just be, it would be more than a, a rock in the wilderness, but that it would be a man, Christ Jesus, that is the precious stone, the chief cornerstone that would be there for a foundation for them to build their lives up on it. I'm telling you that the reason why you're here today is because his goodness and his mercy followed you all the days of your life. You think you just got here because someone invited you because you're no family here and you're just in trying to figure out if this is the church you need to go to. I'm telling you none of that is the case. You're here because the rock followed you, made a way for you. David said Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He said, at the end of it all, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Even at every misstep, I know he's there. Even when I felt like I was all alone, I wasn't alone. God was there with me. 
Oh, come on, why don't you lift up your hands and would you just pray right now? Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift you up here today. Oh, we praise you today, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that he is far above all principalities and powers. That in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I know that there have been times in my life where when we're pulling our trailer down the road and that person slams on brakes on the brakes in front of me and I don't quite have the reaction time that I'd like, but I've smashed those brakes anyway and all I can do is say, Jesus, I know that in that moment he's there moving and working because somehow, some way, we come out of it without a scratch, without a bruise, without a worry, and we thank God for it. And you can probably think about times in your life where life-threatening situations situations have come up upon the on the scenes of your life and and maybe you're riding down the road and that truck or that car wasn't supposed to be in the lane when they were supposed to and and you begun to call upon the name of Jesus and somehow you were saved and delivered out of that maybe maybe you were in an abusive situation and you didn't quite know how to get out of it but there was something moving for you even even as they begin to sing even though you didn't see it it was working even though you didn't feel it there was something moving for you and it was Jesus the whole time so he's far above all principalities and powers and in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily God is a lot of things my friend God is my healer God is my deliverer God is my savior God is my redeemer God is the lifter of my head God is the good shepherd the lamb slain from the foundations of the world the scapegoat and the door to the sheepfold all at the same time he is the I am that is I am he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last which was and is and is to come he is Zion's righteous governor he is the Elohim El Shaddai he is Jehovah Nisi Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shidkanu, Jehovah Mitkodeskam. He is God. He is all of these things, but he's not divided at all. He is all of them at once. And there are times in your life and in my life where I don't have time to pull out a list that is 3,000 miles long and even longer of everything that God is and begin to look down and find out what I need him to be in that moment that I need him I think it's enough to say I need you Jesus come into my life save me now deliver me now when my heart is overwhelmed lead me to the rock that is higher than I do you know what that is that's David talking about Jesus that's David talking about Jesus when Jacob put a pillow for his head and it was a rock it was Jesus brother it was Jesus sister being there for him when even his brothers was against him when even his family wanted him dead Jesus is the rock in a weary land God is all of those things and when he looked at the state of humanity and found that there was no one no man acceptable no man holy enough no man good enough he said I've got to go down there and I'm going to go down there wearing the helmet of salvation and the life that he lived is now incumbent upon us to live that same life. The, the death that he died, we have to die that same death. I'm not telling anybody that you're going to be up here and we're going to crucify you before the whole church, but you're going to die out to your sins. If, my God, if you'll find a place of repentance here this morning, God will forgive you of your sins. Cast them into a sea of forgetfulness. The Bible tells us that he'll throw them as far as the east is from the west. If you repent of your sins, then you are finally in a position where God can look at you and say I love what I see there I love what I'm looking at I accept you I want you you're my son you're my daughter I want to fill you with my spirit I believe it's 
the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, if I'm not mistaken, where Paul tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Really, if you look at that scripture, the only thing that God is asking of us is to just come before him as a living sacrifice. And you think that living for God is costing you everything and you're having to lay down so much. You're having to give up so much. All he wants is for you to just come to him and be honest and say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. My act has made everything worse in my life. My family's fallen apart. Here I am, Lord, a living sacrifice. And when you get to that point in your life where nothing you do is good enough, but everything that he does is perfect and and everything, when you get to that place, then you are acceptable. Get rid of the idea that you accept him. You don't accept him. He accepts you. You don't take him. He takes you. I'm getting ready to come to a close if musicians and singers can get ready. You accept the fact that he is the only one that can save you. But as far as this standing before the Lord and say, I accept you, Lord, come into my heart today. That's not even biblical. Jesus Christ is the only one to save and he's the only one that can deliver you. And whether you praise him now or you praise him when he calls you before that throne and begins to judge your life, you will lift up your voice and you will say at one point in your life, Jesus Christ is the Lord. I'd rather that you do it today, that you recognize today, I need you today, rather than wait until he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And you realize then, oh oh God, you are God. You are my Savior. I know this might be a little bit different for a Sunday morning morning but I just feel an unction in my spirit to help somebody understand there is coming a day whether you speak English Spanish Russian or French or any other language on this world you will cry out one point Jesus Christ is God Jesus Christ is my savior whether he's savior today or savior up there I don't know but I'm telling you today you need him you need him When we read in Isaiah 59, he tells us that he had a helmet of salvation upon his head. The Apostle Paul would write to us and tell us in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And he begins to tell us to take on the whole armor of God and begins to remind us that the reason we do this is so that we can stand against the evil. And he says, when you've done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins gird up about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I don't know who Isaiah was looking at when he began to prophesy and hear from the Lord about the armor that he would be wearing when he came into the earth, but I imagine he was maybe got a little inspiration. Helmet, what are you talking about, Lord? Look at the Assyrian army, Isaiah. Look at their helmets. I'm coming with a helmet of salvation. And I don't know, maybe Paul watched a, a group of Roman soldiers walk by him as the Lord is speaking to him. And maybe, maybe the guard at the cell, maybe, maybe whoever it was, but he saw a, 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 a helmet and he recognized this is Jesus. Hundreds upon hundreds of years apart, talking about two different things, talking about a, a helmet of salvation that we put on and a helmet of salvation that the Lord put on when he came into the earth. But I'm telling you today, when Isaiah prophesied about the Lord coming with that helmet, he was talking about Jesus. And when Paul was sitting there writing this out to the church at Ephesus, he was talking about a day when we would put on the very helmet that the Lord came with. He was talking about Jesus. 
And you don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a prophetess to look around the world and see that the very world we're living in is a tumultuous world. It's, it's full of chaos. It's full of confusion. There's war and rumors of war on every side of the world. There's famine and there's talks of famine and there's disease and pestilence and we've seen a good bit of that hit uh, uh, America even even in the past few years and and it doesn't take a prophet to recognize that we are living in a very uh, terrible day a very uh, uh, trying day but I am telling you I, I feel in my spirit that there is a shifting in this church amongst some individuals here that you have come in day after day after day service after service after service wearing uh, just this weight about you that comes from an attack within your mind the devil bringing up every mistake you've ever made the devil trying to remind you of just who you are just where you've been what you've done uh, hear me right now I'm preaching the Holy Ghost to somebody you, the, the little nuances of your mind that you don't quite realize are there I'm talking about the bruises and the wounds and the scars of your mind that you that you walk around and you deal with them day after day after day and you wake up and the first thing that pops into your mind is the voice of the enemy telling you this is what you did this is who you are reminding you of what a failure you are trying to tell you the accuser of the brethren accusing you with everything that he's got bringing up things that happened to you as a child that you had no control over is this all right is it all right if i obey the holy ghost for just a moment i'm trying to come to a close i'm very careful about where i tell this and and how i talk about it get looks and get questions from people when I don't break out into tears and I don't begin to weep and sob about things that have been on, went on in my life. But I can tell you that as a, when I was probably 10, 11, maybe even younger, um, we, my parents, great, great people of God, I love them to death. Um, but they, they, they were doing, their, doing everything they could to, to raise us in truth, doing everything they could to pursue the will of God. They were pastoring full-time, working uh, in the church, working in the community. And there was a, a family member that decided that they wanted to live for God, but they couldn't quite do that in the environment that they were living in. So they said, yes, you can come and live with us. And I do not blame them for anything that went on uh, after they made that decision. My parents are not to blame. I don't even know if they know. But um, as, as time would go on, conversations would be had with this loved one that had prayed through, that had proven that they were living for God. And, and there was a, a relationship developed between this family member and myself. And I am at such an age where I, I don't really, I was probably even younger than what I said, but I didn't even realize uh, just exactly what was going on and just what was being done. But it was things like, keep this a secret. This is, this is between you and I. Your mom and dad wouldn't understand those kinds. Of, I, I hope I don't have to go into too much detail for people to understand what I'm talking about. And not realizing that that affected me so much that I carried it with me for years, decades. Carried it with me. Didn't realize that it affected every, every hour of prayer and it affected every time I preached and every time I tried to witness to somebody and tell them about how God is able to deliver you and help you through this trauma. And leaving that buried and leaving that hid and hoping that it doesn't rise to the surface, surface of my life in the middle of the night and leave me tossing and turning nightmares and night terrors. Hoping that it doesn't come out and it doesn't reflect itself and sow itself every time I look in the mirror. And then there was a day, and look, I'm married for, what, almost six years by this time. And I, my wife didn't even know that this had happened in, a, in my childhood. And finally, it, it all just came kind of bubbling up and it had affected me in such a way that when my, my wife just kind of looked I, I don't know but I just wanted to ask did anything like this happen to you when you were a child and in our in our the living room of our trailer I began to weep and I just began to cry because of the first time I had ever confronted that and looked at it for the 
the mess that it was and the, and the problem that it was. And I'm telling you, the reason why I don't cry about it anymore and the reason why it doesn't mess with me and, and hold me back anymore is because when I let God put that helmet of salvation on, I'm telling you, it sealed it up. There, there, and the devil still tries to come back and say, hey, what about this? You're dirty. You're full of shame. You ought to feel guilty. You ought to feel unlovable. No, sir. My God is greater. And I put on that helmet because he... He said, listen, you're trying to do everything all by yourself, but that's not how I made you to operate. And we try to use our, our, our head to get through a lot of problems. And we try to force our way through. My, your parents, my parents probably said it a hundred times. You're hard-headed. You're stubborn. You need to listen. And it's my, my own head that gets in the way sometimes. But I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't matter what has been done to you, what has been said to you, what you have been through. You let God slip that over you. You take on that helmet of salvation and it deflects every attack from the enemy. It wards off. It creates a barrier. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You got way ahead of me, and I'm here to tell you today that you're here because you let God a long time ago slip it over you, and you notched it down, and you said, God, I don't care what I go through. I will not let this thing be removed. I will walk with every day, strapping it down. I will live every day with you shielding me, with you guarding me, with you protecting me. Let's all stand. We are in a fight, ladies and gentlemen. But it's not something that we can put our physical hands on and struggle and wrestle it out of our life. If it was that easy, I would have been delivered of it a long time ago. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I, I believe that so many times people get this idea that if I can just put my hands on it, if I can just identify it, and just give it a name then I can finally start putting it behind me but all God is asking is that you just help that you let him make you into what you're supposed to be no longer a victim of circumstance no longer a victim of upbringing no longer coming here carrying the weight of uh, failures and mistakes of my past I, I didn't come to bring all my disadvantages to the table and say God this is this is who I am I'm telling you that you are not a victim brother you are not a victim sister you are a mighty warrior and make no mistake about it we are in a war but it doesn't matter what the battlefield location is if it's a battlefield of your mind you need to just begin to call upon the one who guards your mind and protects your mind and keeps your thoughts and shields you and delivered you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If it's a battlefield of a hospital room, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If it's a Bible study that you're walking into, at this point they've been argumentative and they've been resistant before you sit down and open your Bible. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If it's a backslidden loved one, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh my God, I need, a, I need a husband and a wife that'll begin to cry out the name of Jesus over your marriage. I need some young man or young lady that'll lift up your voice and say, Jesus, you know what I've been through, but I'm letting you slip on me, God, the helmet of salvation to keep me, to deliver me. Come on, let's come to this front right now. I feel, the, I feel that Holy Ghost pulling people right now. Oh, in the name of Jesus, when you come, I want you to come with every problem on your mind and bring it, bring it here. Lift it up. Bring it, bring every childhood trauma. Bring every dilemma that you've faced. Bring every heartbroken issue and say, Jesus, I need you to protect me. I need you to deliver me, Lord. I'm crying out to you today. I've got no way to handle this myself. I've got no way to make sure that I can get out of this. Oh, come on. Jesus. That's it. Lift up your voice right now. Lift up your voice. Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus. Come on, warrior. You're not a porcelain doll that's, uh, that's going to be broken with too much use. You're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty woman of valor. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.